1: Piers for creating and performing our music. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. Uh, This is Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us, as well as others. Uh, Before we get down to business, I am going to turn it over to Tamara, who's going to tell you a little more about our upcoming novel, Exorcism, which is Book Three in the Ravencrest Saga, uh, and it is slated for a release on Valentine's Day.
0: Yes, it is. Midnight, the witching hour watery echoes in an empty building the grand greek pool at ravencrest manor babbles and gurgles as chlorine scented water pumps flowing like cool blood in veins and arteries the moon full and high above the arch glass ceiling shines its light into the cobalt pool casting splintered rays across the water picking up golden highlights as it reflects on the constellations the planets and moons set into the bottom of the pool A spring and a thunk from a tall diving board, then a splash as someone dives in, and somehow water explodes into the air. The sound ebbs and flows with movement. But if no human ear is present to hear it, no eye to see it, can these things be real? Or are they merely tricks of light and sound, courtesy of Mother mother Nature? Soft golden lamps flicker to life, and then music, faint but unmistakable, rises and echoes. Eddie Cantor, if you knew Susie like I know Susie, Oh, oh, what a girl. Laughter, the sound of a party of voices and glasses clinking. Something white and serpentine slithers and stirs beneath the water like glistening cold silk, there and gone again in an instant.
1: All right, Ravencrest Exorcism is released in ebook and paperback this Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2020. The ebook can be pre-ordered now on Amazon, and if you need to catch up on your ghostly goings on at Ravencrest Manor, you can check out uh, book one, The Ghosts of Ravencrest, and book two, The Witches of Ravencrest, also available on Amazon in e-book and paperback. All right, again, this is Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarathorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at ThornAndCross.wordpress.com. or if you tweet, our handles are at CrossAlistair and at tamarathorn. Uh, you can visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook, uh, and if you are uh, at Instagram, you can find us at, at thorncross, or you can find me at at official underscore Alistair Cross. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, uh, tonight we have some very exciting guests, Uh, very excited about it. Uh, Before we uh, introduce them, though, I'm going to introduce tonight's co-host, who is uh, in charge of all things young adult. Uh, Q.L. Pierce is our multi-award winning co-host, and uh, she's the author of Scary Stories for Sleepovers and over 150 other books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her latest, Spine Chillers, is available now in ebook and paperback at Amazon. Welcome aboard, Q. Thanks for coming.
2: Oh, thank you so much. And uh, tonight, our guests are two incredibly prolific authors, Elizabeth Massey and Stephen Mark Rainey. Elizabeth Massey is a two-time Bram Stoker Award-winning and Scribe Award-winning author of novels, short fiction, media tie-ins, poetry, and features for American history textbooks. Mark Rainey has been writing professionally for over 30 years. He is author of numerous adult novels, short story collections, over 100 published works of short fiction, and the scripts to several Dark Shadows audio productions. For 10 years, he was the editor of the award-winning Death Rail magazine and other popular anthologies. Welcome to both of you.
3: Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Likewise. Okay.
2: Thank you. I can't wait to talk about your Ameriscares series. But first, uh, let's just get to know you a little better. Uh, Elizabeth, I've read that you have a
3: fondness for amusement parks. What's your favorite park, and how do you spend your time there? <laughs> Well, it it sounds really odd to say that I'm fascinated with and love amusement parks. However, I'm a total chicken when it comes to most rides. Um, I'm fascinated primarily with historic amusement parks because they had an edge to them, Um, in particular the amusement parks that were located on Coney Island around the turn of the 20th century. They were garish and bright and loud, and people loved coming there. But what fascinates me the most is that there were – basically no regulations. You didn't know what you were eating. The ride you ride rode on might fall and crash and kill you because there were no regulations. And it fascinates oh me the fact that that people actually trusted and went ahead and do this did this anyway. So I guess I, I have to be honest and say my most fascination mostly fascinated with the older um Older amusement parks, and then seeing old abandoned amusement parks because there's so much mm. potential there for stories. Yeah, yeah. That we had a a
2: really famous one out here in California that uh, is no longer with us. But I, I know what you mean about those. Just the abandoned parks are just so creepy um, and Mark, fascinating.
4: I, oh, Carnival. Oh
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know this is coming, but you still sought out scary books and stories. How did you, as a kid, balance that fear and your love of horror?
3: Was this for Mark or for me? What? For Mark.
4: Oh. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry, sorry. It was it broke up there for a minute, and I couldn't hear all that. Can, oh. can you repeat that? I'm sorry.
2: Sure, sure. I read that you had nightmares as a kid, but you still sought out scary
4: books and stories.
2: How did you balance your fears and your love of horror as a
4: kid? Uh, I spread it like a contagion. I would, I would be scared. We had, um, we had whippoorwills around the house at night, and of course, you know, they sound like innocuous little birds that are kind of mournful sounding. But as a kid, for some reason, those things scared the life out of me. I associated them. With the aliens and stuff, that I would be on the outer limits, and um, so in my brain, you know, the, the horrible images would go along with the sounds of the whippoorwills. So whenever I'd go to kindergarten or first grade or whatever, you know, then I'd go to show and tell, and I'd tell people about the UFO that landed in the woods and stuff. And I oh, and I realized <laughs> I enjoyed when, after I was scared. I enjoyed trying to scare other people, and that was that that just sort of exercised it
0: <laughs>
3: okay, Elizabeth. what first drew you to the horror genre? Oh gosh well it, it, similar to what Mark said when he referred to outer limits, I think it was the fact that I was that I'm old enough to have watched the Twilight Zone first run, and um you know my parents had no <laughs> problem with us watching that. And not only did, it, did many of the episodes scare me, but they actually emotionally touched me in some ways. I felt, you know, I was just really drawn in. I felt sorry for certain characters. I was, you know, scared on one level and sad on one level. And it just completely fascinated me. And the same thing with Outer Limits. Um, I think that's sort of where it got started. And I was a very shy kid, and so I could imagine all sorts of things that that would happen that people wouldn't know about, that a shy person would keep quiet. Um, and so, you know, then my imagination kind of ran wild. I fr- wrote my first horror story. It wasn't until – high school that actually completed my first horror story. I piddled with them before but I actually finished my first one in high school and what was funny was it, I thought it was a pretty effective story about a girl who was losing her mind and I got a C on it <laughs> because the uh, English teacher said the English teacher had issues with me um, using sentence fragments to describe her state of mind. She said, you have to write complete sentences, my dear.
0: And I thought,
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> But anyway, I kind of where it got there. started.
3: Huh? <laughs>
4: okay. Mark? I, I guess you showed her, huh?
3: I kind of <laughs> tried
4: to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, Mark, you said that one of your favorite books as a kid was Haunting of Hill House.
4: What did you love oh, about yeah. it? The opening description of the house oh. um, somehow resonated with me when I was – I think I was around – third grade when I thought a friend of mine had – or his parents, I should say, had a collection of those Reader's Digest condensed novels and a whole bookshelf full of them. And I saw the title, The Haunted Hill House, and I thought, ooh, something creepy. So I remember reading that first page, and the description of the house just sort of gave me a chill. I didn't – of course, I didn't read the whole book or anything, but then I sort of skimmed through, and I got to the end, and that last line, whatever, walked there, walked alone. Yeah. I that night from that line alone, and then in later years, when I read it, I thought, my God, you know, this really is one of my my favorite books ever. All right. Now,
2: um is coming <laughs> – it's from Crossroads Press. It's – Mm-hmm. It's inevitably going to be a 50-novel series of spooky books for middle-grade readers, age 8 to 12. It's currently in development for television by uh, Warner Horizon with Margot Robbie's production company, Lucky Chap, and Assemble Media, slated to do uh, the production. Right. So, Elizabeth, you're the creator of the Ameriscares concept. What was the genesis of this idea?
3: Well, um, I actually was a middle school teacher for 19 years. Um, Oh, wow. I taught taught seventh grade life science, and it was (laughs) great fun. I really loved it. And so, you know, you spend a lot of time with kids that age, and you see what they're reading and what they're interested in, and and it reminds you of what you were interested in at that age. And so, um, actually, the very first novel came out as American Chills back in the late 90s, but then the publishing company decided not to do any more uh, novels for young people, so I got all the rights back to that novel, and it sat around for about, I you don't know, 12 years. <laughs> and then I thought, uh-huh. you know, I really like this idea, so I, I took the novel, I refreshed it, I gave it a more modern, you know, put it, put it in more modern times, and – um then I decided I'm just going to go for it because I love the idea of having something that not only has a lot of potential because there are 50 novels that would be written and could be more because you could go back through the states again if, you know, that happened. Sure. Um, but yeah. but keeping in mind as, a, as an educator, and I don't mean to say this and make it sound like, oh, she's trying to make it all educational because I'm not. But uh, the fact <laughs> that, you know, if kids can read and get interested in, the folk tales and folklore and and legends and historical events of other states. They may want to read more about them. And so I think it kind of has that extra layer. It's spooky. It's it's creepy. It's got kids in all sorts of situations. But. The, the readers who, you know, a Virginia reader reading about Ohio, an Ohio reader reading about Montana, they might become interested enough to continue reading more about that particular state and get to learn more about it.
2: And they even want to visit that state.
4: You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh,
2: absolutely. Sure. What actually happened. Uh, Mark, how did you come to join the the project?
4: Well, um, I guess it was just over a year ago. um Beth Massey called me up and said, Mark, I've got fifty <laughs> books to write and there's no way I can do this without your help. You specifically must help me or any other writer she think- might happen to approach or just some side off the street. I don't know.
3: I sounded so pathetic uh, I thought- when I called. I I promised in the world, you know, like oh, please, Mark. <laughs>
4: yeah, well, but we had we had collaborated before. We collaborated on Dark Shadows novel. We did some work on the Civil Wars, and we, you know, I've published Beth in my magazine a whole bunch of times. I've read almost every word she's ever written, so we are very well accustomed to how we do things. And yeah, true. Um, when she When she approached me with this. Idea. I thought you know I've never written for young people before, but um, it it sounds you know I I started looking around at, at some um, fiction for young people now and, and I work in the education field by day, so I see tons and tons of of books and material for younger people, and I I do production work for educational resources for kids from preschool mm-hmm. up through sixth grade. So I've got a pretty good handle on what these. What the youngsters are, what levels they're reading at, working at, that kind of thing. So I said, okay. And the first one I, uh, I did was a West Virginia book uh, about the Mothman. And I, 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 I guess my introduction to Mothman many years ago was, you know, the Mothman prophecies with uh, Richard Gere and Deborah Messing and all. Right. That. Uh, I loved that concept. And so I said, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be happy to join in and so I, I I think I mentioned as the show was starting, I just turned in my third one uh, 15 minutes before the show, you know, I sent it off to the public. Mm-mm.
3: And I have to <laughs> if I could interject just for a second, you know, Mark is a, an amazing writer and um you know, I've read all his stuff as far as I know that have, were written for adults, but he really has captured – it was almost like he's a natural writing for a younger reader because he keeps it very fast-paced, very scary, but it's not so horrifying right. that a kid couldn't handle it. He, and he understands these younger kids too, and I, and I, he really is a, a great addition to the series. Oh, that's, I, I love the book. I appreciate um, that.
2: Elizabeth, as a, a Californian, um, I'm here in L.A., uh the first title I picked to read was California from the Pit. Would you uh-huh. tell a little bit about that book? And and I have to say you really 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 captured the setting. You, you Thank got it you. just perfect. Take it from a
3: Californian. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um I had I, I visited some friends in California um a while back and we and, and we decided to drive from California back to Virginia, and so we drove through the area where I ended up setting the the novel. Um, and I was just oh, and we had visited, of course, the La Brea Tar Pits when I was there. And I thought, wow, uh, what if there were what if there were other tar pits that hadn't been discovered? And one was in a kid's backyard. What could be in there? So I, you know, play around with that in my brain. What would happen if there were? You know, first I thought there'd be like just you know remains of critters that might come to life no 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 so I thought of eggs and I thought yeah eggs they could just have been you know under the tar for eons and when the kid pops them out has no clue what they are and then they hatch and then I also like the idea of you know it's not that I was trying to teach a lesson but the kid in the book learns you don't destroy what you don't understand even though it was very scary for him and so uh, that's in fact that was I think the second the only second one that I wrote. So uh yeah, basically I was inspired by being in California because I haven't been there a whole lot of times, but it was the, the La Brea tar Pits and then driving up through that area, I thought, aha, this is a great place to set the story. Can I throw fun. something I'd in love. right
4: there? Sure. Can I can I throw something in right there based on what she just said? Yeah. Okay. Um so far all the books that I've written in the series are places that I actually have been. Once I move beyond that, you know, maybe I I'm hoping I'm, I'll go other places. But you know, doing the Mothman book, I went to West Virginia and went to all the places where the Mothman supposedly really was seen and and the eeriness of that place really moved me and my yeah. my girlfriend, yet again I've been to all the places I wrote about in the Michigan book and the one I just did for Ohio. I think that really has made a huge difference in the authenticity of the book. So I know exactly what Beth's talking about. about I wish I could see those carpets. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah.
3: And you know, with the, with the book I just turned in was Montana, and I have never been to Montana. So there was the challenge. So, you know, what I love is google earth and you can actually drop down onto a road and travel mean, around yeah. and also i was in touch with some folks from the school i i emailed the the, the, the uh, people from the school and they were able to answer some questions for me so i could make sure i was as accurate as pro- possible about the area oh wow
2: okay and and uh, they um montana ghost in the dust what is the uh the being or the legend that that you're uh, talking okay.
3: about. Okay. Well, as as you know, is um, we said um, every novel is based on either a legend, folk tale or an historic event. This is actually um, based on the character, the real person of Mary Fields, who was nicknamed Stagecoach Mary, and she was the first African American woman to work for the the uh, United States Postal Service back in the late 1800s. And um uh-huh. so I have this the the kids in the in the uh book have a reading club and one kid finds this old crusty book and it has stories about Mary Fields and Mary Fields is at, her spirit is in there and comes out as a ghost and oh, they they're they're horrified they don't know what she's there for but they've read that she's a good person and then outlaws come out of the book and they're chasing Mary Fields so we've got all these ghosts running around Cascade County with these poor kids trying to figure out what the heck are they supposed to do? And uh, it gets pretty intense. But I did a lot did of, of Mar- reading about, about Mary Fields. Yeah.
2: Um, Mark, your uh, the title you just turned in is uh, Ohio fear of the Grassman. I mentioned to you, I had never heard of the grassman, man. So uh, just, you know, for those listening, who is the grassman and, and what was, that about so
4: the grass man is basically a Bigfoot type creature. The um, re- earliest reports of them go back centuries, really, but uh, in modern days, I think it was 1978 that uh, oh, that I mean that it was officially reported, and then people started seeing this creature that was, you know. All these different places, mostly around eastern Ohio, and, in fact, one thing I didn't know, you know, when you think about Bigfoot, you usually think about Pacific Northwest, California, Washington, all the sure. forests yeah. out there. One of the things I read when I was researching this thing is that there are more sightings of a Bigfoot-type creature in Ohio than in any other state. And wow. they call it the Grassman because there's um, there's a lot of grass fields up there and it likes to lurk around the edges of these fields and supposedly builds these constructs that are sort of they're like the domes that they make and uh there was a documentary on one of the uh you know some YouTube channel or something that that actually showed one of these supposed constructs and you know I'm not going to say I do or don't believe in the thing but but it was pretty wicked looking uh very complex um Construction. And oh, that looks uh, awesome. you know, I've got to include stuff like that. But you know, and to be honest, I don't even remember exactly where I first heard of the grass man. I I know when I was looking up information about Ohio, I came upon uh, two or three different possibilities, but it but it was the uh it was the Bigfoot dude was the one that really grabbed me. And so um, <laughs>
0: Bigfoot Beth, dude.
4: Beth decided Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, okay. yeah, that said, Okay, that sounds is. good.
3: So. Oh yeah, and I just read it I'm and it's awesome. For you. Cool. Um, when you um,
2: when you did the Mothman book, you featured geocaching. Geocaching? Oh, is no. that what you call? And uh, yep. I that's I'm totally new to that, and I thought it was fascinating. Um, I'm not a real Outdoorsy person, so I don't know if I'd be roaming around out there trying to find these <laughs> little containers. But would you uh, kind of tell how that works, and do you use that when I'll, you're doing your
4: your research? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll I'll try not to take up the whole show. I could talk for the rest of the <laughs> night about
1: geocaching,
4: and Beth knows this because Beth does oh, yeah. geocaching and has been with me You both do with it, geocaching. Right? And I'm surprised. She, right. I'm surprised she still talks to me, but. <laughs> it, you know, it's sort of a scavenger hunt. People hide a container of sorts. It can be something from a big old ammo can full of swag to something as small as a little magnetic nano container the size of a pencil eraser that you might find on a light pole of your local parking lot, something like that. And there, there's, what, three million, some of them hidden worldwide now. And what what people do is, you know, when you hide one, you take the GPS coordinates on your phone or your GPS, you publish those on the geocaching website, and then people can download the coordinates and then go hunt and try to find what's been hidden. And the caches can be there's they can be as easy as being a, like a fake uh, uh, magnetic electrical plate on the side of an electrical box or something. Or it can be down in storm drains, my, literally miles down in storm drains. There's a cache over in Durham called the Labyrinth that requires six to eight hours of being underground in storm drains. And uh, oh god! And, uh, conversely, they can be way up in trees. I've I've gotten real good at tree climbing again.
0: Um,
4: <laughs> water out in the forest, out in the woods, and that kind of stuff. So now, is, they, this,
2: they, is this? Are there levels? Is there like you know black diamond geocaching? So you know that you don't want to bring your three year old along, or
4: they, have, or something they like rated that? They oh, have okay. two ratings. There's a there's a difficulty rating and a terrain rating, uh, on a scale of one to five. So one difficulty and one terrain is really easy. It's that the one terrain meaning it would be handicapped accessible. Five terrain would be something you almost certainly need special equipment for, whether it be a ladder, ropes, uh, lights, scuba tanks. I mean there there are scuba caches where you have to go diving underground. There's a cache – several caches in Antarctica. There's one on the uh, International Space Station, which has been found all at once.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's amazing. So um, the America's uh, Scared Series – is you're uh, working on development for television. How's that
3: going? When are we going to see that on TV? <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you might ask that. Well, what I will say is this, because some things I cannot talk about right now, but what I can okay. say is, no, no, you know, what I can say is, yes, it is in development. It is moving ahead um, as far as I can tell from what I've been asked and and told. Um, and... Uh, I have no idea when it will be ready. I have no idea what network it would be on. Um, But um, the fact is that, you know, I will just continue to send in each manuscript or book as they're ready into um, the producers so they can take care of that. Um, But um, I'm just – I'm encouraged that that this is going to be a a pretty awesome thing. I mean, um, Margot Robbie's company said that they want to make it a series – um, that is kind of like it, it, sitting around the campfire telling stories and, and to be family-friendly where it's, it's spooky, mm-hmm. but it's not what you would find, say, on the Shudder Network or in the American Horror Story TV. You know, it's, it's family-friendly. You can sit there with your 8-year-old your or your 10-year-old and enjoy the stories and talk about them afterwards. Um, and uh, so I think that's really awesome because I don't know if there is something else Quite like that on either streaming or network uh, TV. At least I haven't seen it, and so I think it's going to be a really unique offering. Yeah, I
2: haven't seen it, and I can't wait to. So I I do love the series. I think it's a fantastic
3: uh,
2: concept. And Thank you. I really you. Do think that it, you've got a very wide range there. You know, middle grade is eight to twelve, but I think this uh, the books themselves, depending on the kids. Lend itself to a much wider range than that.
4: Um well, thank you. I adults,
2: so too. Uh, adults are perfectly, uh, I,
4: I, you know, the adults I know that have read these things love them too. So I think that they, it does have a wide range of appeal. Yes, it does. And I, I, I agree. Really it,
3: so. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Well, I'm so, glad you enjoyed uh, the California book. That that that's great. I, I'm glad to hear that.
2: I did. I have to tell you one thing, though. I, I know if, when my daughter was little, if there was a tar pit just on the other side of the fence,
3: she would have been in it.
2: So, So anyway, maybe,
0: some uh, good things in we, that pit. Yeah.
2: Before we have to uh, go, I want to know what, what's coming up. Uh, Elizabeth, you start. What's coming up for the future for you?
3: Well, um, I am currently working on the next Ameriscares novel, which is set in Washington State, and it's called The Deep Dark okay. Down, and it's about a very okay. mysterious, seemingly bottomless pit that is found uh, in the forest, and uh, all sorts of creepy things uh, happen with that deep, dark pit. Um, and that's pretty much my focus right now. I I um, had done a few short stories in the fall um, and I do have an, an adult novel that's sitting there on my computer going, hey, you're going to finish me or what? Um, <laughs> but And I'll get to it. I really would get to it. But uh, I just want to get this next Amir Sears book up and rolling, and I hope to have it done within about six to eight weeks and uh, get it off to crossroad.
4: Okay. And, Mark, how about you? Well, I now that I've just finished this uh the the latest of care, I'll probably jump right into uh the next one. I've got a couple more on tap, one for Georgia and one for uh New Hampshire, and of course Beth over there going. Mark, please help. So I must help. It is my solemn duty. to do these in the meantime, I've uh, I've done like i mentioned before the show, I said I'd uh, done a couple of short stories for uh Various anthologies, and I'm I've got another one that I'd like to delve into. Some of my, my newer work is uh, my newer short work, I should say. Is I'm sort of you know trying a few different things than I've ever done before, and some of it's pretty uncomfortable to me. <laughs> but I want to I want to well, do some of that, so I'm mixing, mixing that in with um, with the, with the kids stuff, you know.
3: Well, I have to say I, li- getting, I like I diversify. I think. Diversifying is so
4: good for the creative juices,
3: I think. You know, doing exactly. all the different ages Absolutely. and I really do. It it helps me be much more creative, I think, to to do all sorts of fun such a variety of things.
2: Absolutely. And you guys are just such a, a wealth of uh creativity and material. I, I hope you'll come back on and uh Would love to. So I'm gonna say, Thank you so much. And I'm
1: gonna turn you back over to Alistair. Well thank you so nice. right. for um, the interview. I appreciate
3: it.
1: Yeah, and you know you guys you guys are you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. being on. Um I'm really excited about all your good news. It's very, very very cool stuff. I think you guys deserve every bit of success that's coming your way and I thank know there's a you. lot coming your way. So, I uh, uh, we that. will keep in days. touch, and we we would love to have you both back any any time. And mm-hmm. um, Owen okay. Q, thank you for hosting. You did a great job. You always do. And well, um, we appreciate. Yes. We appreciate it. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. And for those of you listening, okay. um, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been talking to Elizabeth Massey and Stephen Mark Rainey, um, authors of the Ameriscare America series. America- 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, until next week, we wish you haunted nights
0: and sweet screams.
2: And don't forget to check under the bed before you turn off the
1: light. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you for joining us, everybody.
0: Good night, live
1: with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.